Hello everyone. It's Thursday the 12th of March. And the reason why I mention that date is because we're in the grips of this coronavirus pandemic now. And I hate to start on a worrying note, but um, I'm a little bit concerned. I know there's a lot of information coming from different sources and people saying different things. But, yeah, I, d- I don't know what's going to happen over the next few months. And I uh, I have to be conscious and mindful that, you know, I have a pregnant partner and I don't care too much about my health in that respect. But um, my pregnant partner, also my elderly parents, which I see almost daily. And, uh, yeah, it's just something that's on my mind. So... Um, nothing to do with this episode of the podcast, just uh, a timestamp that maybe I'll look back on in a couple of months and think, ah, that was so silly, what was I worried about? Or, Jesus, we really didn't uh, realise uh, what dangers lay ahead. Anyway, well, I suppose we'll have to wait and see. I hope you're keeping well, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, that you're looking after yourself, you're washing your hands, you're self-containing, you're not feeling too good. And, um, yeah, let's wait and see, I guess. Okay, anyway, (laughs) so this week I have with me Tim Herman. And Tim is a... Me and Tim went for dinner uh, a couple months ago. Well, we went for dinner, but only I ate. He didn't. Because Tim is a a meditation coach. He is a yoga teacher. And he's also heavily into longevity and intermittent fasting. Essentially how to biohack or how to self-optimize ourselves and our body so that we can live fuller, more robust lives. Uh, Tim is someone who not only works within that field of spirituality and meditation, but he also works for Google, which is interesting. You know, He does a bit of both and he, has, he himself introduces mindfulness techniques and... Um, spiritual experiences to the staff here in Dublin Yoga. It's interesting to hear how Google incorporate that into their well-being program. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Um, Tim is a lovely chap <clears throat> with a great beard and great hair in general. I'm always in, I like, I got hair on my head, but I can't grow a beard. I'm 38. But then you see some fellas who've got really good beards, but they're bald. Tim's got both. Which is not really fair, really, but that's that's life, isn't it? I hope you enjoy this episode. Um, as always, please leave a review if you do. And if you'd like to come to a retreat, hopefully this <laughs> coronavirus isn't is is gone by then. Um, come to our retreat at the beginning of April, April third, April fifth, and it's in Ireland, so you don't have to worry about getting on a can a claustrophobic plane. Just come along to the west coast in Leitrim. And maybe spend a little bit of time away from the madness of this outbreak. Anyway, any information you'd like about that, feel free to let me know. hope you enjoyed this episode. And uh, without further ado, here is the man himself, Tim. Tim. Kevin. <laughs> good morning. Good morning. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing great, thank you. Yeah. How about you? I'm good, mate. Thanks for coming. Yeah. Yeah. It's um. It, what do you think of my setup? 
It's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, use of the space. Yeah, because yeah. you did you did a podcast before, did, but it was in German. Yeah. Uh, and it was how long ago was that? That's pretty much a year ago, and it was uh, on my balcony in Zurich, mm. which I called a treehouse because I I used to live there in a house that is surrounded by trees and then facing the river. And you literally wake up like hearing the river flow by and hear the birds sing. Yeah. And you could literally hear in the podcast the birds sing <laughs> in the background. <laughs> so did the guy come to your house then? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, that's the handy thing about having a setup where you can take it anywhere. Yes. Uh, at the moment, I can't take this anywhere. Yeah. But it's um, but then it's, it, it, it does add another layer of complexity. In fact, I've done quite a few podcasts in my car initially. Um, but it's nice to have almost... A bit like when you do your yoga practice, if you have your mat laid out, you have your little corner of the house, your incense burning, yeah. you know that corner is for yoga. Yeah. A bit like this room is for podcasting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and that's it, you know. <laughs> um, with, with the podcast you did, in, in the one you're referring to in German, um, it was on biohacking. Yeah, it is a vegan biohacking podcast. Okay, yeah, it's a that's good, a niche niche. Yeah, yeah, it's a pretty niche. It's a friend of mine. Um, yeah, they're pretty strictly vegan and uh, but really into biohacking and uh, mm. we spoke about that. <laughs> what What is biohacking? I sometimes don't even like the term because hacking means breaking into something, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, I'd, call, I'd call it self-optimization. It's probably the better term. But for me, biohacking is an over term of like, I'd say using the maximum out of your physical and mental capacity with all kind of tools could be meditation could be yoga could be uh, nutrition mm. mindset like just making more out of of you yeah <laughs> that's that's biohacking for me yeah it's a big range of uh, nutrition is is big in biohacking then supplements and mm. mindset yeah just becoming a better person mm. i'd say yeah, we, before we started recording, we were talking about fasting and how food is pleasure. And yeah. it's very difficult to ask someone to give up eating for a long period of time. But and I think we both agree on this, uh, that this almost through all the literature, every resource that you read about longevity and health, mm. ha fasting comes up over and over again, doesn't it? But it, what what's your routine for your your daily routine for your your fasting? So it's completely right. <laughs> Food is pleasure, and it's hard to take <laughs> away. It, it 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 takes quite some discipline to do fasting. But um, so I first started fasting with a day, and it felt hard the first day. And then, like, I've been doing this for, for a few times and it became easier and easier to, to don't eat for, for 24 hours or sometimes 36 hours I was extending over the night. That became easier. And I was just, when I got into this whole biohacking and self-optimization, I'm, I'm always saying <laughs> I'm a guinea pig and I'm lying. I'm the guinea pig myself and yeah. I'm just trying stuff out. So I was trying out a week of fasting and I bought myself this juice box that was made for fasting with, like, when you drink what juice and what tea. And um, that went fairly well. I, I did quite some research, but I was all doing it by myself. Like retrospect, I would rather go maybe to a fasting hotel because I, w I still went to work and it was winter. And, you know, for me, how I understand fasting and why it's so healthy is our body has the ability to heal itself. Like all those mm. 
sick cells and broken cells, our body has the ability to repair them itself. But our body is, the most of the time, he's busy digesting, running, <laughs> walking through life, being stressed out of thoughts. And so for me, the real idea of fasting, if you go like for a longer fast, like a week, is that you really are in an environment where you can really relax down and you have like sauna and s lots of sleep and recovery time. Mm. Um, but still, it was really good to do it for a week by myself to learn how little hunger I had after a few days, how good it is after your intestines are cleaned out. You can use Epsom salt or different drinks to like clean out your intestines. Drink Epsom salts? Yeah. Oh, it okay. doesn't taste very good and you'll yeah. be on the toilet for the next <laughs> five, six hours a lot. Wow. Um, but there's also other yogic techniques, the branchakala, I don't know the exact word, but it's where you drink salt water mm -hmm. as long till just like clear water comes out of your butt. Yeah. There's yeah. techniques. And um, but the main thing is like you really want your intestine to be empty and clean because once that is the fact, you're not hungry anymore. You still have appetite once you smell something or see something. Mm, food pleasure, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but um, this 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 real feeling of hunger is gone once the intestines are clean. Mm. Because I think as long as something is in there, the body wants more and more. Yeah, and it's it always was working, isn't it? Yeah, it was quite fascinating to be in that state and realize how how intense the smell was, how intense the taste was of a tea, you know, like all the senses get a bit more sharpened. Mm. Um, but it's not really, for me, applicable. I mean, I have a corporate job and like it's not really something that I would say I'm going on a fast next week. Because this just doesn't work. There's too much going on, too much stress. It wouldn't, it would maybe even stress me more than it actually does good. Mm. So that's why, for me, decided it would be more like go i'm dreaming of going to like thailand and going to this 10 days choosing retreats and like real detox with, yeah. with the whole thing i think that's the right setting um but what i do in my daily life is um i'm trying to intermediate fast as much as i can and that means like keeping the meals close by like six to eight hours and yeah. then giving your body rest for 16 to 18 hours mm. in between and for me Practically, it looks like mostly I have a late breakfast, late lunch, maybe a little snack at two or three, and then finish eating mm. and wait till the next morning. Mm. Funny thing is I'm mostly hungry in the evening because that's time when people eat and it's a habit and you see other people eating like, mm, food, I'd love to. It takes some discipline and often in the morning when I wake up at like seven or eight, I, I, I'm not particularly really hungry. I'm like, I'm, I enjoy this being empty in the morning. Yeah. I think it's a powerful space. I'm a lot more productive, flexible, at basically agile in the morning when I haven't eaten early. But then at around 9 or 10, I'm like, oh, food be good. Yeah. And then I eat, yeah. But to have, it's actually a simple but rare pleasure to be so hungry and then eat a nice meal. Yeah. As opposed to, oh, it's time to eat, so I'm going to yeah. eat. When you when you have that, you really appreciate food. Then when you actually have a yeah. really good appetite for it, and when we went for, I said I was gonna say when we went for dinner. When I went for dinner and you came, yeah. you were watching me eating. I didn't realize that you were fasting. You know, yeah. when I was eating my sushi, yeah. <laughs> but it it takes a lot of discipline as well because you're you're taking yourself out of possible social situations. I mean, sharing food, especially at dinner time, is yeah. such a sociable thing. And if you're working in a job where part of it is i mean you work for google yeah. and, and 
even if you don't work for Google, they have the reputation of being, it's not just a nine to five, you're actually part of almost like a family, you yeah. know, you do things together, they do tons of stuff. Um, and, and therefore, if, you, if you're saying to people, oh, I'm not going to come for dinner, it's a bit more difficult. It's a bit like not drinking, because yeah. I, I don't really drink alcohol anymore, uh, actually, apart from the weekend just gone, because I went to yeah. <laughs> a stag do and old time's sake. Um, but you, you do realise that if you don't drink and everyone else does, although you can have a great time and whatever, there's something about being on the same um, level of consciousness as everyone else that is really fun and really exciting. And that could be enjoying a meal but i want to talk to you about about google because i have um i've only been in there but i've actually don't know anyone who works for for them and you mentioned that they do well many things things like i want to talk about to you about the toastmasters mm -hmm. thing uh, uh thing they do and also the yoga mindfulness so what what does that look like in google okay can I still say something about the stuff before? And yeah, I, of course. I, the <laughs> okay. I think for, for the fasting and stuff, it takes your own discipline and your own will to really do it, right? It needs like, you need a proper why. Why am I fasting? Mm. I want to be healthy. I want to feel better, whatever. The social pressure is a whole other topic. It's almost harder than, than you. my own discipline. I have under control. I'm, I'm pretty good with it. But um, the social pressure of like dinners and, invitations and declining and going there sitting next to people eating and having to answer all those questions why don't you eat that is for me even harder than my own because i know for my why i'm doing it and i have my own rules and i'm pretty good with that mm. but the social pressure is a lot harder it's the same with drinking or if you used to smoke and then you don't smoke anymore and your friends are like oh what's up with you mm. and then you also mentioned this like having a meal is really special and um, I'm a big fan of Wim Hof I've been practicing his method for for years and uh, pretty much a year ago I went to Poland for the Wim Hof winter expedition and he's a really funny guy and uh, <laughs> <laughs> his English isn't the best mine neither so sorry guys I'm not a native speaker <laughs> <laughs> wanted to put that out but Wim Hof is so funny and like you are like I took the microphone and asked him a question and I said, Wim, I've been reading that you only eat one meal per day. Mm -hmm. Why is that? And what time do you eat? And I just wanted to know from him why he does it. <laughs> and he is not like giving you straight answers. He likes to talk and like does his way. And like, he's like, you know, I wake up and I do my breathing and my cold bath and, by lunchtime, I'm really hungry. And being hungry is being alive. <laughs> That's what he said. And he said, like, by four o'clock, I feel so alive, so hungry. That's what he said. <laughs> and then he said, and when it comes six o'clock, I eat my food. <laughs> <You know? laughs> that was six explanation, but it sounded that it's really special to him, this one meal, you know? Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. and I was like, yeah, but why in the evening and stuff? And he just talks mm. and doesn't really give you an answer. Mm. But that back to like how nice food is you know and like usually if i'm eating in the morning after being off food for 16 or 18 hours it's a real pleasure it's mm. like it's not just like i look at my phone and uh, talk to a friend it's like no i eat my food i'm mm. present i'm really looking forward to that but you're so you're doing it then for longevity 
Um, or do you just look, feel better? I'm I'm telling you, I'm so grateful for for being alive and for being here. Yeah, <laughs> really happy. I always say really happy how God made me. Um, <laughs> but if there's one thing I'm I have some physical problems and it's my digestion. If I eat certain foods, I feel it, and I, and I've been doing some research. I went to the traditional Chinese medicineist. I went to the Ayurvedic doctor and talked to them, and they did all those tests and looking in your eyes, looking at your tongue, and mm. and um, they both said like, yeah, I can see your digestion is not perfect, and both recommended individually without talking to each other like you shouldn't eat so late. So I started implementing that, and then I'm into biohacking and reading a lot and. I have this goal of becoming 110 years old, <laughs> uh, which started more as a joke on a festival once. We said, oh, what's going to happen in the year 2100? And then we decided we want to be at this festival in the year 2100. And that's that's my goal. Mm-hmm. So I'm um, starting, started to do research, like how how can you get really old? What's what's indicators? And, and fasting is something that comes up and up and up. And still it's so difficult due to discipline and social pressure. Mm. Yeah, but the, the, sh- the bits in between that, um, the social press and how you react to that. It, I was listening to a podcast about centenarians. So, what is the correlation in these blue zones amongst uh, people living to be a hundred years old? Yeah, and they found that they have very very different diets. They have, for example, say in the Mediterranean, it was a small island off Italy. I forget the name of it, but they eat a lot of meat, a lot of oily food. Yeah. Um, whereas, say in Okinawa, which is the island of Japan, I believe, uh, that have loads of centenarians, they have a completely different diet. It's basically a vegan diet. Yeah. Um, the, some of them are overweight, some of them not overweight, di- different lifestyles. But one of, the, one of the, the key factors that they all had was that they, and this is hard to measure, but they don't let things bother them. Mm. They reduce chronic stress. So in other words, they... I mean, stress is good, as we know, like you yeah. know, if you lift something or if you can have uh, mental resilience momentarily, it's great. But if you're constantly under that stress, uh, I think that it seems to be that's a huge factor for for dying early and for developing yeah. disease and often causation and correlation. I mean, they're completely different. Like there is a and this is something that people confuse. There is. Uh, and this is Mac. I remember Max Strom said this. I love Max Strom. He wrote a book called Life Worth Breathing. But he said that men who are married are far less likely to die earlier of heart attacks than men that are not married. That that you'd make the assumption then that if a man uh, is loved by a woman and he or any or anyone, he is therefore going to live longer because of the love. Yeah. But in fact, it it, it could be seen as men that are healthy. They have a good diet, a good lifestyle, that are fit, are far less likely to die of a heart attack young, and therefore they attract a partner. Oh, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it doesn't necessarily yeah, yeah, yeah. in the two. But um but yeah, with 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 stress and with the Vim Hof technique, is the purpose because I've never done I've never been to any of his um, workshops or seminars or I've been to one of his instructors, but the idea behind the cold water did you go into a river and all that stuff? Did you, it was the idea to like, I mean, I, what my assumption is that s- some of it is to stress the body mm. and see if you can use your breathing to get through it. But another part of it is you're doing something difficult as a group. Did, did you f- feel that at all? Or what was your experience like? Um, 
the full method is for me it's one of the the most full methods like full teachings that i practice because it's the best meditation i know <laughs> um mm. the breathing i mean i'm a breathwork facilitator more on like m the training in breathwork i've done is more like on a spiritual level it's more like trauma release and healing mm -hmm. versus the breathwork from Wim Hof is mostly like for physical benefits of like really filling your body with oxygen like making it more um alkaline from the acidity like getting more oxygen in to get your mo body more alkaline mm -hmm. more healthy prepared for for the stress for for the cold and uh, then they use like tai chi and qigong exercises to like kind of like prepare your mind mm -hmm. so it's like the physical part then there's the mind part where you like prepare your mind with qigong and just like affirmations like hey it's gonna be cold it's gonna be fine i can survive i will do that and then going in the water you switch to breathing that you slow down your breathing you really relax you breathe into the nose out through the mouth really slow and that's acceptance you are in the cold water it is really cold it will always be really cold <laughs> but you kind of accept and why i say this is the best meditation is because it's instant feedback mm. so i've been sitting a few vipassana courses tried different meditation techniques for me the pure sitting doesn't work always because mm. if i'm coming home from a day at work there's so many thoughts and i'm sitting down and like it's so easy to be lost in thoughts for minutes and i don't realize you know and you've been sitting all day already yeah yeah, yeah. You know, pretty much yeah and I'm, I'm sitting there and i'm like thinking i'm meditating but actually i'm thinking about stuff and uh, then like oh i'm meditating mm, okay great i realized i meditate <laughs> mm -hmm. but while i'm in the water is as long as i'm aware of my breath and i'm keeping it slowing down and i'm accepting the cold i'm fully present in this moment mm. but as soon as i'm thinking of like oh this email on that facebook post and the podcast and my girlfriend and all those things you instantly super cold you know like <laughs> that's why i call it the instant feedback meditation mm. and then you come back to your breathing and you're fine and then thoughts come again you're like super cold so mm. it's an instant feedback meditation exactly. that's why i that's say brilliant. it's really powerful and some feedback meditation and then and yeah. then and then and then afterwards you go back you try yourself and you feel like you took a kilo of ecstasy because all this serenity <laughs> and stuff comes up you know it's like really of like being alive you survived you know it's like really like it feels so good mm. and um and then the last part of the full Wim Hof method is then you go back in in a house or in a dry space you don't put any clothes on and you just sit in meditation and you observe how your body heats up again because what happens if you go into cold water is like your body pumps all the blood from your extremities from your hands from your feet into the core mm -hmm. because th those core functions we need to survive so your hands and feet are always cold you can't really do much against it except of practice acceptance and um, and then you sit down and you just observe how your body heats up again in yoga we call it acne Wim Hof isn't such yogi, he just calls it the inner fire. And his school is actually called the Inner Fire Academy. And the whole the whole teaching is that you strengthen the inner fire. Mm -hmm. And by that you also strengthen your immune system. Mm -hmm. so, so that's the full method. There's okay. lots of meditation, mindset, breathing and strengthening your immune system. That's why I f for me it works really well. The years I've been practicing it all winter I've never been sick. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Um, so then how do you do that in Google? <laughs> There's no lakes, no 
do you get in a cold but for me what's the meditation practice in google look like um so the whole google mindfulness program is called g pause like we have many things called g bikes g surfboards g, g as in qi g, no g just like google oh g, g sorry g. okay yeah so we have many like short links go slash eat there you see what's uh -huh. up for food go slash sleep there you okay. see where you can sleep <laughs> go slash bikes and things are usually called g bikes g food um and the whole meditation mindfulness program is g pause take a pause mm. <laughs> okay. and um so i'm leading it with two other guys we are the g pause site leads for dublin and we're kind of managing the emia community for g pause and most important thing is at google there's only one person who does that full time everything else we all have a regular job i sell clouds for switzerland other people sell ads for turkey whatever we all have a regular job and that's what we do on the site we call this 20 project because the idea at google is like that you roughly spend 80 of your time on your job and 20 you can spend on projects that help the company help you help the customer whatever because hmm. um, sometimes people think um that we're just enjoying this whole universe and google is a universe with so much to offer it's almost a constant fomo because there's so many things you could do <laughs> But at the same time, we all have to fulfill our job and reach revenue targets and stuff. So mm. it's 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 a dream place. Mm -hmm. We just wouldn't have to work, but we also <laughs> all have a job there. <laughs> and um, at Gpos in Dublin, um, we have daily meditations. So we have meditation rooms pretty much in every building, mm. and uh, we organize uh, meditations. And that is that runs pretty much by itself. People people who who are meditation teachers who believe they can they can just apply and then they put themselves in a sheet for the next three months and then they come and they can pretty much keep it free what they teach oh so that is up to them what yeah. the style yeah okay so there are certain guidelines like shouldn't be too crazy stuff like it's all it's still a corporate environment you know like mm, yeah tolga maybe started to wanted to bring in like osho meditation and stuff it was like hey that's cool that you guys want to mm. do that but not under the umbrella of cheap pause yeah it's a bit uh, much yeah and then there's um we call it g to g googler to googler it's workshops by googlers for other googlers mm. and there you can basically do whatever you want so i'm teaching wim hof breathing tomorrow on and friday but that's on a g to g I shared it with the cheap pause community that they can come as well, but it's not an official workshop. Mm. See, a lot of um, the corporates that I teach in as well, they're so different. As in some corporate clients, they are, um, you, you could be opposite your boss. Your mat could be right facing your boss, someone who, who knows what your relationship's like with them. And therefore, you have to be really considerate about what you're asking the people to do, how vulnerable you want them to yeah. ask them to be. Whereas other environment, other corporate job, it depends on the company culture, how many people have been there for. Um, some companies you can do a bit more crazy stuff, like not the not the Osho stuff, yeah. but you can um, like I do some very simple bioenergetics with people, yeah. and they th think it's a bit of fun. Whereas uh -huh. you can you have to read from the room. Is this too out there? Is it too um, too adventurous? And would this actually make people close up as opposed to op open out? And uh, but I'm luckily I would say uh, again an assumption, Google has um, a demographic a bit like um, a lot of these software companies um, that are more um, maybe 
used to <laughs> these 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 uh, unusual techniques, you know. Um, what about the, I want to talk about the Toastmasters as well because I thought about doing Toastmasters before, and then I realised in terms of pa- practicing public speaking, I get to practice every day, <laughs> yeah. so I don't really necessarily need to do a Toastmasters. But um, what does that involve, Toastmasters? It's pub- public speaking, and then you get judged. Yeah, so Toastmasters is, I think it's an American public speaking organization. Yeah. And um, there's different groups. Mm. So we have a Google group for Dublin, and I'm a member of this. So you pay a a membership to the the organization, to the American organization, and then you get an account there, and you fill in some questionnaires and stuff, and then you get, like, your own path. You can choose, I think I'm on the dynamic leadership path, so, and then... The first speech, I think a Toastmaster path is always about 10 speeches, 10 prepared speeches. And the first speech is always an icebreaker that you introduce yourself to the group with mm-hmm. an icebreaker, like four to six minutes usually is a prepared speech. And um, then you do trainings there as well. And in a Toastmaster meeting, so we have our meetings always on Wednesday for lunch. It's always an hour. There's different roles. There's always um, a Toastmaster. <laughs> He's uh, facilitating the, the show on this day. Then there is a Topic Master. He's preparing a topic. So tomorrow the topic is spring for us. And then we have a Cremarian. The Cremarian is responsible for the word of the day. Cremarian? Yeah. He's responsible for the word of the day. And he is counting the speakers, like he's observing their grammar they use, he's counting M's, O's, and, and all, oh, all those things, oh, and gives good. feedback. Mm. Then there's a timer, he measures the time and gives you feedback, and also shows you during your speech, like, at usually at four minutes he shows you a green card, then at five minutes a yellow, and at six minutes a red card. Mm-hmm. And that you kind of, like, stay in the time frame. Um, what, uh, is there any other role? I'm not sure. Um... But then, so the structure of the meeting is, like, we usually have one or two prepared speeches. They, in the beginning, um, they give their speech. um, And then afterwards, there's, like, quiet time for one, two minutes that everybody writes feedback. So everybody in the room gives feedback to the person, written feedback. Oh, you you don't give the feedback verbally in front of everyone else? um, You you write it down, it's confidential. Every prepared speech has an evaluator like a dedicated evaluator who gives really detailed feedback and you can tell your evaluator beforehand like, hey, I would like you to focus on this, this and that because I've in my last speech I wasn't good in that. You oh, know, okay. I was talking too fast or something. Mm. Please, can you have a look at this? Oh yeah, that's that's right. Yes, evaluators and there's a general evaluator for the whole Toastmaster session. Mm-hmm. But um, so speech one afterwards is like one, two minutes feedback that everybody writes down the feedback and gives it to the person at the end of the meeting. Then there's sometimes there's a second speak. They also have the evaluator and um, then time for everybody to write feedback. And then we usually switch to the topic sessions, like one or two speeches, and then we make a switch to the topic session. And um, the topic master prepares questions about a topic. Mm. And then it's stand-up. So whoever wants comes up and gets a random question from a topic master and has one to two minutes to answer the question. Mm. So that's like that's I think that's really good learning because you're not prepared. You're just coming up, you get a question and you answer it. Mm. Or you make your own speech and you don't have to answer the question. It's like, Oh, thank you, Mr. Topic Master. That's a great question. However, I really dislike the question and I'd rather talk about this and that, you know. <laughs> it's just like how you make it, you know? Yeah. And um 
and then this goes to the end and then in the end there's the feedback for the prepared speeches from their evaluators they go up and give feedback to them in front of everybody and um, then there's a channel evaluator who rounds up the session and gives feedback on how he perceived the whole session then there's the timer who gives a report on how people were with time if they've been in time or went over time there's the grammarian who comes and gives everybody feedback on their grammar mm. And and that's it. That's oh, grammarians. That, yes, okay, yeah. makes sense. Th that's the whole meeting, and uh, it's very encouraging. You know, everybody is applauding, and it's it's mm. really like even if people up the first time and they get stuck, like it's really encouraging, and it's a really positive mind. mind but they but they will tell you. So when they t when they give you the feedback that's not positive, is that done confidentially? As in, a you say they say to you, okay, Tim, you say um too many times. Do they say it to you in front of, with other people hearing? Yeah, that the grammarian says like, oh, you had 18 arms and... And everyone else can hear this feedback as well. Yeah. That's interesting. And, and the channel, the, the evaluator, like you have one evaluator for the prepared speeches, they give their feedback publicly as well. Mm. Versus the audience, they give written feedback. Mm. Yeah, because... But I it's all very positive. They, they, they will say where you have room for improvement and stuff, but it's all in a very meant well and good like it's mm. we always clap and encourage like it's yeah. a very positive group and no I, no I think and I think that is important but I do believe like when you teach yoga on mind body you get reviews people leave you five stars at what well, zero to five stars and um, and I like to see how my classes are occasionally I'll check in and I, and I think that now that I'm in a position where I'm teaching training teachers I, I I feel that I have to be very conscious about how I deliver feedback, especially when other people can hear. But at the same t time, I want... I mean, good feedback is great, but we learn from the stuff, <laughs> our yeah, mistake, yeah. But it, and, and how you deliver it. And I'm, I'm always think, trying to think of ways to revise how I give feedback. Um, what I, a speaker school I went to recently with Jerry Duffy just before Christmas, he did it where he went round to everyone and said, tell me one thing you liked about that speech and one thing you didn't. So essentially, each individual got one good thing and one area for development of every single person. Mm -hmm. And I, what I found when I, when I try that is, people will always say, oh, I really liked um, your eye contact. And then I say, okay, and what didn't? What what do you think could have made it made it better? And people don't want to say. Is I'm trying to figure out how can I, um, how can I frame it so that I'm saying, look, it's great you're saying something nice about them, but to really help them, you need to say something that's not so nice. Um, and I ha still haven't really figured out how I can change that system. Um, I don't know. <laughs> it's, 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 it's a tricky one. I mean, because as you said, public speaking is it's a big undertaking and people already feel very vulnerable. And if they're made to feel bad, then they th might think, oh, well, I'm not doing that again. But yeah, it's, it's something I, I'm, I'm working on at the moment. Um, I want to talk to you about your, your workshop because I wanted to go to your workshop. Um, this was the one you did with Tolga. Uh, oh a, yeah, a while the ago. healing with breath and sound. Yeah, but we're actually doing another one on the 29th of March. 29th of so March. So Sunday, Sunday evening. Okay, I, in the space between. Most likely, yeah. Yeah, um, because I couldn't go to your one because I was going to a live podcast. I went to the Blind Boy podcast 
um, it was my first time ever going to a live podcast, and I just right. it was nice to get a bit yeah. a bit of inspiration because I've done a couple before, um, so I couldn't go. But I was reading through the description of it, and um, I was reading it was movement, breath, meditation. I was like, okay, tick tick, yeah, understand. <laughs> and then it said uh, bioenergetics. I said, okay, yeah, tick, I understand that a little bit. And then it said emotions and touch. Yeah. So what what does that mean? Because some people, including me, might read it and go, "Hold on, I'll get emotional, <laughs> and I got a touch." Wait, wait now. <laughs> so what, what? How does that? What What does that look like in your workshop? Yeah. So I'm a practitioner of biodynamic breathwork and emotional biodynamic breathwork and trauma release. Yes. And um, so, as I said, breathwork. I'm really fascinated by breathwork. I think I got into it with the Wim Hof method that it's very on a physical level. But um, then I discovered more and more like the energetic level. And basically, if I'm really honest, I really like to get high. I've been experienced a lot with like LSD, mushrooms and stuff when I was younger. And I was like, how can we get high by ourselves? So then I came to holotropic breathwork. Mm. Um, what is holotropic breathwork? Look, look for me breathwork is always the same it's like not always for me it's like the technique is always the same we're basically hyperventilating in a safe environment we over oxygenating our body to come in an energetic charge right yes. to get high yeah and then there's the different breathworks with like different intention the Wim Hof one is more on a physical sensa sensation right Versus the holotropic breathwork was developed in the 70s when they delegalized LSD and mushrooms in California. But therapists needed a form to get their patients out of their head and getting them in a different state of consciousness to heal them, you know? Mm. That was Stanislav Croft doing that. He developed holotropic breathing. And the idea there is to get really high, like to really like kind of like even leave your body and just like drift off. It's amazing. It's really cool. Versus <laughs> the training I've done is um, to get into state and then work on people to like release emotions and release trauma. And um, so basically through breathing, through hyperventilating, if you want to say so, through I call it conscious connected breathing because you still want to remain conscious and be present. You become in an energetic charge mm. and then release, release whatever in you that doesn't serve anymore. And I don't know if you're aware, but humans are the only marmots that store trauma and emotions in the body. Mm. Like, yes, you've seen, yeah. it in, seen it in many movies of mm -hmm. animals, like if they have a fight or they had something, they shake off, right? Mm. And, um, and we humans, I mean, we're amazing beings. We, we're so clever. And, but that's one of the things that may, might be is not so clever, is we store emotions and trauma in our body. Mm. And what we're trying to do is like be trying to get those, bring them up through, through the energetic charge, through the breathing. Like, because if you continuously breathe through your mouth, connected, conscious connected breathing, you get very emotional. Some people have tears, some people cry, some people shout scream some shake like things come up mm -hmm. and what we do is then we we tr press certain points and trigger points to like release stuff that's there mm -hmm. and um that is uh, bioenergetics mm. from alexander loven and wilhelm reich it's it's the teaching mostly what i've i've been doing mm. and it's funny they talk about seven belts of eight belts of tension i think it is and they are very closely connected where the chakras are 
So there's the ocular belt of tension, then there's one around the, the jaw, there's one around here, one on the heart, diaphragm, and it goes down to the pelvis. Mm. So it's very closely connected to the chakras, and I'm, mm. I see spirituality, for me, it's all the same. You know, there's a yogic philosophy, which I'm probably the most familiar to and the, the most research in, but then there's the, the traditional Chinese. So there's so many different ways of spirituality and for me they pretty much all the same that's why i also said breathwork for me is all the same it has different intention different writings but yeah. for me it's like i don't really need like this is yoga this is tai chi it's more for me it's everything more like on a felt basis and mm -hmm. like experience and sometimes those those <laughs> always seems like marketing terms for me you know like how you call it yeah you the people want to differentiate but like, oh we have the real yeah, uh, yeah but it's so much crossover and actually that technique you talked about the shaking um trauma releasing exercises or some people call tension release exercises yeah. i started to teach that um to the trainees particularly f before they had to do teaching because yeah. um and for the people who aren't aware that the tre i believe was developed by dr david baselli and he f was this is the story that i uh, that i'm familiar with he was in a, a sh bomb shelter in africa and he noticed that as they were being shelled, the adults and the children were all in the shelter and the children were shaking, mm. but the adults weren't shaking and because the children were scared. Yeah. And he said afterwards to the adults, weren't you scared? And they said, we were, but we just didn't want to show the children. And it's the fact that we get conditioned as adults to be like, don't sh show that you're scared. Yeah. And the same with Alfie, my dog, um, if there's fireworks or there was a storm, there's a storm now almost every week, he, he sh he'll shake yeah. because he's trying to get that energy out. And this is a revelation for me because before I used to public speak, I would try to create energy in my body. I would try to energize myself. Yeah. But I need the opposite. I'm full of energy. I have, I'm uh, like, um, and therefore I found TRE exercises to be really helpful because I was stilling myself and letting these involuntary movements happen. So therefore, when I had to speak, my hands wouldn't shake anymore. Or I, my voice wouldn't go like this when I was... You know when your voice starts going like this as you're speaking? And then you're like, you start thinking, oh no, my voice is shaking. Everyone's noticing my voice is shaking. It's getting worse. Where do I put my hands? They notice that I don't know where to put my hands. It's, just a, it's a big cycle. But... With the, I did the exercises. I put everyone in uh, Supta Baddha Konasana and uh, had them bring the knees a bit closer, closer, and lift the hips. And then the shaking started happening. And when they came to time to speak, I asked them afterwards, how did you feel? So, and the, the, the most common response was, I was surprised how relaxed I felt because they'd already got that energy out. Yeah. And, um, and I've started incorporating this in now my public classes because... It's a really simple, accessible way for people to access and get that energy out without it feeling like um, they are having a workout. Yeah. And also, I don't use the word trauma. Yeah. I say tension. Because if you say trauma, I find in a class, it can actually create trauma. Yeah. <laughs> <You know>? yeah. <laughs> but also, I think what you're doing is really like releasing tension versus mm -hmm. the the breath work you really go to like a really emotional spot it's 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 going a lot deeper mm -hmm. it's not like a two-minute exercise it's like a three-hour ceremony mm -hmm. to get there 
Mm. And it it doesn't work for everybody. Like if you're not open for it, you won't get there. You know, it's, it's not that like everybody is like having major breakouts and mm. and stuff. But if people opening up to it and letting go, it it's crazy what can happen there. It's really it's very intimate as well. I feel mm. yeah. maybe that I think m- my my point is that. Uh, given the structure of a one-hour public class, uh-huh. there's only so much you can do. Yeah. But also, I initially started uh, employing this um, te- these TRE techniques because I wanted to help relax people before they public sp- yeah. do public speaking. But the the breath work and the bioenergetics is a really, uh, as you said, it's completely different. It's um, it's well not different, but it's more so. Its intention is different. You're trying to get people in touch with their emotions yeah because we're, we're not we're not used to that um so when you're doing your your workshop you apply a little bit of pressure into these certain points of the body then do you to help people uh, access the, the is that what you do say like if um you talked about how it correlates to the chakras if yeah. someone's doing uh, one of your techniques do you then apply a little bit of hands-on pressure yeah. Exactly, yeah. Like, so there's no golden rule. It's more like feeling and knowledge and experience maybe, but you go to a person, you feel the energy, you feel how they're breathing, how they move, and sometimes it's very obvious. Mm. And then there's points in my experience, like everybody of us holds lots of tension in their hips mm-hmm. and the jaw. Those usually always work. If you if somebody is in a breathing and you see they just before to break out and you kind of like push in the hips, often like <laughs> helps them to, <laughs> to break out. You know, like if you put lots of tension here, like it, it often helps, you know. And then sometimes you can really see, you see where, where the energy doesn't flow. It's really good if the people are almost naked or it's easier if they like in light clothes that you can see because also it, you see it on the body sometimes where the energy is stuck and you just like trying to like make this, this path free that the energy can flow. Oh, I see. Yeah. Okay. And then like look the the teaching I've done is really mostly to one on one work. It would be like that we have a separate room and we do we do a one to one session to like really go deep in your own healing and it's I'm there for you the whole time. Versus I really like those group experiences, but they aren't as intimate and as personal and yeah. as much of a breakout. And I like it because a group creates energy, you know, if there's a certain amount of people and they really fully go there, it ch- kind of lifts other people up who aren't as open, you know. Mm. And uh, for me, it's really important that there's certain warm up before and not like a physical warm up, but like that the people feel safe, you know, that they know with whom they are. Like I do lots of like soft tantra exercises, I just walk around the room, look in the eyes, welcoming mm. each other and like touching feet, touching hands, you know, like that they feel they're in a safe container. Mm-hmm. That's that's also really really important yeah. for me in this work. Yeah, it's not just like, hey, come in, take your mat, and lie down and breathe. Mm. Doesn't really work. It's more like familiarize with with the facilitators, feel safe with the people around you, mm. because sometimes people it can take them a few minutes where they just break out and like scream and shout, and mm-hmm. you kind of want to feel able to do that, right? Yeah, and absolutely. It, it, it takes some. The dynamic changes, as you said, the more people in the room. For example, I was teaching a class yesterday. There's may there's maybe forty five people in the class. It was packed, um, and there is benefits to that, as you talk about energy. But one thing I've noticed 
<laughs> like yesterday, I felt a bit overwhelmed because I'd been away for the whole weekend. I, I as again, I don't drink alcohol anymore. But the weekend, I got very drunk on both nights. Didn't practice any yoga for the weekend. Um, didn't do any of my breathing, any my, any yeah. real physical movement. And on Monday, I didn't feel like myself. Yesterday, yeah. I didn't feel like myself. Uh, I was very lethargic, and I got into my public class that I teach every Monday. You know, I think thirty something people showed up for the first class, forty something for the second class. And by the four, by the second class, I was I was feeling a bit overwhelmed. So yeah. I had everyone lie down. Yeah. <laughs> it's like lie down. I turn the lights off while I got into the zone a little bit. Mm. And what I've realized was that um, things like eye contact, when you have that many people in the room, I was finding eye, con di eye contact difficult. Yeah. I, said, I said, Kev, this is something you... I mean, that's, that's one of the basic... Um, it's a fundamental practice of human connection, is eye contact. Yeah. And... Um, I didn't know, you know, where to look. And, and when, you're, when you're trying to pace a class, a public class, it's very difficult to stop for a while, look at people, because you want, you can see people getting a bit distracted because there's so many things going on mm. in the room that you need to keep the, the, the flow going. And um, this is just something that I'm, I'm becoming more aware of is how, how my eye contact is. And, um, and I talk about it a lot in, the, in teacher training. But um, I think it's, something we are finding more and more difficult, you know, um, especially because we're, we're used to looking at a, a screen. So when you when you do your, your, your eye contact practices, do you have people walk around the room and just find someone with eye contact? And So usually like a warm-up exercise I do is um, I let people walk around the room, look at their feet, and whenever they find some other feet, they look up. Uh. And then they do like five or ten connected breaths together. So they look in each other's eyes and they're like... <sighs> and are they holding hands or anything like this? <clears throat> sometimes, sometimes not. Like depends on... But it's like typical warm-up exercise, just that they feel the group. Yeah. But then also very important, I would never do like a class with 40 people by myself. Like I always say like a maximum of one trained practitioner and 10 participants. Mm. Like, so if you would have 45 people, it would be probably five people holding the space in the ceremony and being around for the people to be there mm -hmm. to pressure them or to help the guide them through the process, you know? Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, I couldn't deal. It's it's too intense and too intimate a space that I could deal with 45 people. I it's just not safe to do so. Mm, not safe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, um, yeah, but, because but look, if like three people break out at the same time and they... Oh, so I break it. Okay. Break out and like energetically, yeah. and they they need help. You know. Yeah. I can't. I, I just have two hands. <laughs> yeah, that, that's the, that's the thing. I think with a with sometimes with the public class, or I have to remind myself, and this is a reminder to other two people that teach public classes, but a lot of people is that you can't be everything to everyone. It, uh, sometimes I'll say, you know, if you can take one thing away from today, that's great, but don't expect to take everything away. Yeah. Some things you just won't get straight away, and maybe that's my poor communication or you're not in the right mind frame or something but um managing those expectations because sometimes when you're with when you're with one-to-one -one, it's very satisfying because it's direct you say something you get immediate feedback and you have that loop going on and on but um but there's also a lot to be said for for going to to public classes um and i want to i want to i'm conscious of our time here i want to ask the question yeah, I, I, yeah. off instagram i got my i wrote, wrote things down <laughs> okay. Tim. 
So that's what I'm trying to get. Oh, before we do that, though, I want to ask you about uh, Burning Man. Okay. Because I've never been. Okay. I'm going to... Personal circumstances are changing. <laughs> I'm going to become a father. So I don't think I'll be going to Burning Man maybe ever. Yeah. Um, Go with your son or daughter. Yeah, and you could be. I could be like <laughs> one of those cool dads that has the baby with the big ear, f- you know, the the noise cancellers on. <laughs> um, I think I've once met like a, a like eleven year old or something with her mother, like really deep out in the desert, and she told me it's her eight burned. She's wow! Been, like she's eleven and she's been there the eight times. It's like cool kid, <laughs> <laughs> definitely cool kid. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but what what was what was that like? Your experience in Burning Man. Um, life-changing for sure yeah I mean two festivals or first of all a burn is not a festival it's many people get this wrong they're like oh it's just another festival I see a big difference between burns because I also go to burns in Europe I've just been to one the weekend before like not last weekend but two weeks ago is that a burning man in Europe there's many yeah but so let me just get this right what is a burn and what is a festival so a festival is a festival we all know you go somewhere you pay entrance and there's a festival organizer who organizes music stages toilets uh, food stands djs everything is organized right you basically go there you pay for everything you use and then you leave afterwards a burn is a burn and is organized by the community there's still um, an organization that makes sure security is there and and dixie toilets at, at the burn in, in nevada but everything else is run by communities. So there's no money. There's You can't buy any food there. You can't... Uh, there's no, like, set DJs that are organized from the Burning Man organization. But there is uh, communities, or they call them... At the Burning Man, they call them camp. I was at a burn last year in Spain. They call them barrios there. Um, but a camp is basically a community. And if you would go to Burning Man, you would join a camp. Mm. And there's different camps for everything. There's camps they do saunas <laughs> and then they bring a sauna out in the desert and that's what i do there's yeah. there's music camps they bring a big loud speakers and organize djs and make parties there's uh, yoga camps or there's spiritual camps and um, so you you'd apply for a camp where you either know people or a camp that is your vibe and um, then you usually pay a fee to that camp and you're part of it camps are usually between 50 to 400 people or something and it's if that's your family there then and with the money you give to them, they organize usually like food, shelter, like shade is quite a thing <laughs> out mm-hmm. there. And um, and while being part of a camp is you're already contributing to the playa, right? To the to the festival. Because for example, last time I was in a camp and we had like two healing days where I was teaching yoga and breath work and and then we had two parties and while we had parties on, there was free drinks and free foods because there's no money. So you just come to our party, you ask for a drink, you get a drink. That's how things work out mm-hmm. there, you know? So that's the main difference because it's, it's decentral. It's all organized by the people, which also makes it a lot more crazy because people do what they want, you know? Mm-hmm. Like they bring a sauna out in the desert. They organize an orgy dome. They <laughs> organize the freakiest shows. An orgy know? dome? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> or... Th- th- Burning Man is very sex positive. So mm-hmm. you might find like a pussy eating contest or slut Olympics and stuff. And that's because people want to organize that, you know, because it's decentral. They can organize what they want. Mm. And you find the craziest things. You can make um, 
prints of your genitals and like all kind of weird prints of your genitals. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Like, like there's all kind. I have of got like some wall space up here actually. I yeah. could do some new artwork. So there's all kind of weird things what people have in their minds and they bring it out there. And the same with the art pieces in the desert and stuff. So that's very different from a festival where, where like say you go to Tomorrowland and they organize the stage and a few art pieces out there. It's everything done by the people. Mm-hmm. And then there's those ten principles like radical self-expression, which means like please be who you are and show yourself how you are, <laughs> and um, the radical self-reliance that you don't rely on anybody else. Mm. Then there's like leave no trace, so everything you bring with you you take back. So and there's like those ten principles that are always there, and and that's what makes the burn different from a festival. Okay. And then some of the European burns or Africa burn is known, they even have like an 11 or 12 principle. So consent is often the 11 principle. Mm. And um, Consent? Consent, yeah. Okay. Um, I'm surprised they don't have more, I'm surprised like every country doesn't have a burning man or a variation of that. Because um, when I go to festivals or I've been to festivals, I, um, or even just, I think more festivals seem to be growing anyway, but when I'm at a festival and I'm walking around and people are friendly to each other, I think this is how life could always be. Yeah. (laughs) It could, but it could always be that way. But what we can't avoid is urbanization, living in cities because of convenience. And therefore, um, when we have convenience, we don't need each other as much. Now, I I like the idea of um, Burning Man that there is you know there's no money and people are bringing their own ideas and everyone has uh, a feeling like they're contributing something and self-expression and all of that but um i suppose it's 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 again it's something i'll i may never experience but uh we'll see we'll see but um let me ask these two questions tim um so there was i i'm asking reverse order what what does your yoga practice look like (laughs) <laughs> These days, it's not really good. <laughs> uh, my yoga practice, it changes a lot. Like, So when I moved to Ireland, I really wanted to start practicing Ashtanga yoga. So since I'm here, I've been mostly practicing Ashtanga yoga and only that. Hmm. Because it's quite intense. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah. Then I got injured from it and I couldn't practice really the last two months. How, how did you get injured? Um, probably from overstretching. Hamstrings? Uh-huh. Yeah, hamstrings got um, is it inflamed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, it's, it's not even a pain, but it's constantly there. Um, so lately, I'm been swimming a lot. Yeah, I as, lost. A co- as a compensation because I, yeah. I I go crazy if I can't move. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm in physio, so they say I can do more and more movement. So my my practice these days is dancing swimming and uh, breathing mm. um, but usually my, my I'm also I did a Kundalini teacher training so in that time I did a lot of Kundalini yoga then I missed the stretching then <coughs> sometimes I practice more vinyasa flow classes because it's fun yeah but then sometimes I write like really static hatha yoga mm. then I've been on a few yin retreats where like oh gosh can we do can we do some stretching can we do some proper yoga and like after like four or five days you're like oh this is so good i'm so chill (laughs) (laughs) so my yoga practice is very adaptive it changes a lot yeah and so is my all like what we spoke about before with intermediate fasting and, and all those things i'm not 
I used to be when I started before lessons, I'm like, okay, you have to do it like this. You got to do this, this, and this. Mm-hmm. And now I'm I'm very free these days. I'm I'm doing. I'm not sure if it's always good, but I'm mostly doing what I feel like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and the same with nutrition. You know, like I used to be so when I did my yoga teacher training and vipassanas, I was so like only vegetarian. Everything else is bad. You know, and like. I've loosened up a lot. Like I've, I'm a lot more flexible and accepting and, mm. and adapting to the seasons and changes and how I feel as well. Mm. But it's funny you say about um, swimming because I was swimming this morning and I do it now usually once a week. One of the most meditative things you can do is to swim. Yeah. Repetitive, uh, repetitive movements, breathing and movement together. You have to breathe when you swim, otherwise you will yeah. drown or yeah. you won't swim very far. So it forces you to, to, to or encourages you to breathe. And also when you go in the morning time and other people are behind you, you can't stop. So it's a bit like being in a class where the teachers, where you're being led because you don't want to slow the rest of the lane down. So you just keep going, you yeah. keep going. And I would say of all the physical practices I do, Swim, I probably feel the best after swimming for the whole day. Um, uh, so it, it's I really, that was a really great answer, Tim, because I think like some people feel pressure to be like, no, I do a 90-minute practice every morning. I do my sun salutations. I do you know, 20 minutes meditation. Uh, whereas it can look like different things. I think what's so what underlines everything is awareness. Yeah. What are you doing with your body? Why are you doing it? Are you... Um, looking to find balance and are you finding joy in what you're doing because yeah. sometimes i think we do things because we feel like we have to and we're kind of punishing ourselves a little bit so we're so that's our identity my identity is i'm a vegan and i do yoga therefore i can't lift a weight off the floor <laughs> or, yeah. or you know um um and um that's not uh, that i think you're 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 not finding joy in life if you if you don't um explore other movement modalities yeah um and I was actually listening to a great lady um, called uh, a great, sorry, um, how would you describe her? Uh, well, her name's Jules, Jules Mitchell, right? And she has a book called Yoga Bioenergetics. No, sorry, not bio, uh, Biomechanics. And talks about how, uh, you know, you need to do more than just passive stretching, for example. And uh, if you do worry too all the time, it's great. But what does it, how does it help your life? Okay, and I, and I don't like to think that we move, we do yoga just for an outcome, but at the same time, yoga hopefully complements your life and makes everything a bit better. Therefore, changing how you move is going to make your body more robust, make you more aware, and also to be a beginner. Yeah. If you do the same thing over again, it's easy and you can yeah. become mindless. Oh, I can do this. But when you say you try something new, you accept that that it gives you a more appreciation for what it's like to be not be very good yeah. at something. <laughs> yeah, I always say I'm Tim and I do what I want, you know, instead <laughs> of like I'm a vegan and the same as like, I used to be very mostly vegan and vegetarian and pe- I really, really dislike those terms, like identifying my as a vegan or as a vegetarian. I, I just said, because it's the uh, same, the social pressure if you go for work dinner and everybody eats steak and they're like, so are you vegetarian? And I said, no, I'm Tim and I eat what I want. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, that gave me the flexibility to now eat meat once in a while if my body asks for it. Mm-hmm. Because if you say I'm a vegan and then you just eat a piece of milk chocolate, they can say, oh, he's a liar. He yeah. ate some, some chocolate, you know? Yeah. And I'm a very free being. I just need this freedom. And mm-hmm. uh, for me, it works really well of trying out new things. I've Even as a kid, I've been playing water polo, ping pong, tennis, soccer, 
trying different sports and then mm. I think it keeps keeps one young and the same as I'm, I'm moving my whole life I've just moved to Ireland moving back to Switzerland in a few months um, I think it keeps you keeps you fresh and keeps Definitely. you alive yeah it's not always easy but um, mm-hmm. like I think personal growth uh, I mean it's probably proven it happens outside of the comfort zone and like mm. when I went to this Ashtanga class I felt like an idiot I was like Tim you and yoga teacher on paper and like you've been practicing for five years and you look like a total beginner in here you know i think the first two weeks they just let me do the sun salutations and i felt so silly Mm. it's like (laughs) but at the same time i felt really good you know like Mm. learning it again and again and like really derby you know it's like, oh, did they do the sun salutations different than in the ashram? How I learned it. Uh, yeah, you know, it must like, be something. It can't yeah, be me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But And the thing is, Tim, there's a possibility that those people in that room that were judging you, there's a possibility. And I, I think that's one thing we have to realize. Just because you do the physical postures of yoga doesn't mean you're necessarily a, a better yogi than someone else. Yeah. Because if we find ourselves like uh, judging someone and going, oh, they're, they're, you know, it's a bit like if I go to a class and it, there's handstands in the class, I feel a bit of pressure to, yeah. to do the handstand well every time. And that's my ego. Yeah. And the fact that if some people are judging me, uh, that's understandable. They yeah. have a right to judge me. Um, but that isn't my problem. Yeah. You know, um, but it, it's, it's, I think that's the, um, and I want to actually ask the last question is you Wait, mentioned. Let me say one oh. you, because you asked me about my yoga practice, right? And yeah. you just mentioned physical yoga. And I think it's so funny here in the West, like also if somebody, if you asked about yoga and Google, you know, mm-hmm. we always, I think we mostly speak about asana practice, right? That's yeah. v- what means yoga for most of the people. If I tell my dad I'm doing yoga, he thinks I'm doing like mm-hmm. some warrior too. But if you ask me about my yoga practice, it's, it's a lot more for me because yoga is a holistic way of life, you know? And um, I was fortunate enough I don't want to judge those teacher trainings you have in, in the studios here. I know this is the way how modern studios make their revenue and stuff. But I was in a really traditional Shivananda ashram where I did like a 400-hour training and it was almost too traditional where I, <laughs> me as a free spirit comes to my <laughs> boundaries of like too locked in in some things and like two hours of mantra singing every day. I was like, oh my God, where am I? <laughs> Hare Krishna. <laughs> but um, I, I learned that he, that Hatha yoga was one out of seven paths of yoga we learned there, and there's bhakti yoga, karma yoga. Mm-hmm. And um, so I've been injured the last two months where I didn't practice too much asana, physical yoga. But um, I remember with Jenny, once we spent the whole night meditating and praying. That's also a form of yoga practice, right? Or, mm-hmm. or I write down every morning and every evening what I'm grateful for. That's also a form of bhakti. And Oh, yeah, agreed. Uh, and so... so I think I think asana is is more relevant in the West um, because we don't move enough. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah. It, it, like, so in, if we look at in say developing countries, I mean, a lot of people are manual workers yeah. or they're working at farmers. So therefore, uh, we don't. And and also, yes, we are a bit more maybe uh, interested in aesthetics. You know, being inspired by the Greeks. Um, but yeah, I hear what you're saying. Like, you, you think of the asana straight away and. The um, there are so many other limbs to, to practice, um, but, um, but it is it is the gateway. That's how it's the gateway. That's, that's yeah, also exactly. how I got into yoga yes. via the physical practice. And yeah. then I've done it for a while. And then I'm in an ashram and they sing mantras and pray. And it's like, wait a minute, 
what am I doing here? Yeah. <laughs> is this a cult? <laughs> yeah. It's been great. Like after two weeks, I've been walking around the ashram Om Namah Shiva. <laughs> yeah, yeah you're like this. fully in. Because singing is so powerful. Yeah, yeah I was ashamed of my voice and of singing for many years, and it is probably the most direct way to my heart mm-hmm. if I can sing. Yeah, and I'm still ashamed. I wouldn't make a kirtan but i go to kirtan sometimes and I'm like wow this is mm-hmm. so nice yeah it really is yeah, and uh, that's also a form of yoga practice i'd say yeah, yeah absolutely i mean look at uh, almost every culture has uh singing and dancing a- attached to them but um and when you do, there's so much joy to be found in that so much expression um okay so i want to ask the last question, last question. Uh, and this actually you referenced it slightly um and it was what are your plans for 2020 you said you're going to switzerland yeah, I'm moving back. Uh, we had a reorganization at Google Cloud, so I'm being moved back to the country. Um, to Switzerland? To Switzerland, yeah. When, um, when are you going there? I'm moving actually on Saturday. I'm oh, okay. <laughs> I'm driving my car back. Uh, I'll be fourth and back here. I, I have a life here. I have a partner, friends and stuff, so I'll be mm-hmm. fourth and back. Um, but I'm based in Switzerland. And, um, I... I it's a great year, 2020. I turned 30 in the in January. It's a new decade, a new decade for me. Um, I've been kind of a seminar junkie the last five years, you know, like uh, <laughs> full-on better life, making money, being good, like having... Uh, I'm such a privileged person, right? I'm healthy, I'm alive, I have enough means to... I could basically do what I want, right? And last year, I even took a year off from work and just did, like, finished... NLP masters, Kundalini teacher training, breathwork teacher training. You know, I've the last five years I've spent most of my money and free time into trainings, mostly personal development, yoga, spirituality. Uh, and before this new decade for me and the world started, I took some time to reflect and I was like, okay, because often you go to a yoga retreat over the weekend and you're like, hmm, this is great, but I m- know most of it. And, you know, I've always been a bit bored for most of the seminars. So my main intention for 2020 was to go deep in relationships. And I'm also very fortunate. That's probably one of the best practices I have is um, if six friends, we have a WhatsApp group and one lives in Guatemala, the other one is in Sri Lanka, one in Berlin, one in Munich, one is traveling somewhere else. We all spread out over the world. But we have a WhatsApp group where we, it's only allowed to post videos and uh, you share what's happening with you, what you've learned, and they all do very interesting things. One is a podcaster and a blogger, runs his own business. The other one runs a hotel in Sri Lanka. And so we always share what we've been learning, what we're up to, what we learned, what was roadblocks and stuff. And with two of those guys, my closest friends, uh, we've all been in Sri Lanka for New Year's, and we started to have a weekly call where we update ourselves on progress, plan, failure learnings and gratitude and then we started to give each other direct feedback mm. like like what can you do better and stuff and one of those guys is my best friend since 14 years now and with him it's really difficult to give him direct feedback to tell tell him what he doesn't do good or something but we're really exploring this to like go deeper in relationship because i think that's where the most growth happens and the same I have a partner here in Ireland and I've always been single the last years enjoying the poly life and <laughs> mm. and, and it's I really want to go deep in human relationships to the places where it hurts exactly what we had said before with the feedback you don't like to say mm. what somebody else is good and that's really my intention for this year because I think 
that's where the most growth is for me these days because I kind of like need a seminar from a break from those seminars and trainings, even though I'm going to a really cool one end of the month. <laughs> in Zur- in uh, uh, Switzerland? Uh, it's close to Manchester. It's called the Path of Love. It's like a, a training from Osho. Mm. Um, so those are my, my, my main intention is like to go deep in meaningful human relationships to learn from each other and go to places where it hurts. Mm. Um, well, I'll, I'll give you one. Uh, I'll give you one. I mean, you heard this one before, but Alain de Botton, who's a philosopher, he is the co-founder of the School of Life. And he, when he does a talk or a seminar, instead of having people turn around and say, okay, uh, introduce yourself to someone next to you yeah. and tell them one thing interesting about you. Instead of doing that, what he does, he says, turn to the person next to you and tell them something you're ashamed of, something you regret, and something that makes you feel sad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I b- borrowed that because... Uh, when we do that, that's how we can build friendships quite quickly because we have that vulnerability. Um, but it's funny you're, you're talking about relationships and pain and how sharing that can um, fast track us to better connection. Um, have you ha- heard that one before? Have heard that technique? No. <laughs> so yeah, this yeah. is um, and actually you mentioned NLP. You do you did neurolytic programming? Yeah, I did a yeah. practitioner and a master in there. Yeah, it's I'm good. I'm really interested. In that. I wanna I wanna um, do that. Uh, I wanna study that myself. But I'm just trying to figure out when to do it, like an evening yeah. course or online. Even I'm not I'm not too sure. But um, I think it's best in a group setting because there's so? also many sharings and two groups and three groups where you yeah share it. it's can be powerful if you see the people and be with them yeah, yeah true uh, but well then like one content. other thing yeah so i really love to organize and create things and um alex and me both turning 30 this year so we said like we're not going to make a birthday party for us because we don't want to celebrate ourselves but we want to celebrate life and and love and, and the beauty of of it all so we're organizing a gathering this summer um and he, I went to Burning Man with him and to many other festivals that so we quite experienced in the field. And this is going to be our own little gathering where we invited all our friends that we met along our paths in the south of France for a week of of sharing, yeah, of, of like mm. practicing together, sharing together. There will be a plant medicine ceremony. And the main intention of the, of the, of the week is that people that we think are amazing and bring positive change to the world that they can meet and then there will be a day where they can share their projects what they're working on and eventually find, find other people who work on similar things and stuff mm-hmm. and um, my intention is to make those gatherings over the next years make it like some something between a festival and a burn or something between a retreat and a burn mm. because on a burn for me there's still too much alcohol consumption and too much party versus we want to have like the same principles and stuff, but more on a conscious way. Mm-hmm. And um, th- that's the first try. It's super exciting. I'm mm. working at it almost every day, uh, and uh, really looking forward to that. Yeah. Nice. And we'll keep an eye south of France. Yeah. Okay. So Tim, if people want to find out more about you, Instagram. Yeah. S- Tim Herman. Tim Hemen. Hemen. Uh, yeah. You know Hemen, the superhero. What your name is H E M A N N. No, just H E M A N. 
but my last name is Herman with okay, so one uh, R and two N. On Instagram, it's Tim Heman. Yeah, like the superhero. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm working on a website. Just have too many things on my shoulders these days with moving countries and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but there will be a website at some point. But for now, it's it's Instagram is the easiest. Or yeah, on Instagram, you find my email and phone number. Just yeah. text me there. Cool, man. Uh, thank you, mate. That was fantastic. Yeah, thanks for hanging out. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Hope you enjoyed Tim's soothing Germanic voice. And he's such a pleasant chap. I hope to... um, Well, I won't have him on again because he's going away, isn't he? Damn you, Tim. Okay, don't need you anyway. Joking. Uh, Yeah, Tim is going away. And um, yeah, it was a pleasure to meet him, though. That's the thing about this podcast is this is like a... What do they call it when you have... Like a time capsule. So that conversation is forever recorded on audio and on video. And uh, I can always look back at that and reminisce about the time me and Tim chatted. And um, so, <clears throat> as I mentioned on my Instagram, I, I'm i a little bit behind with publishing the audio and the video at the same time. So I hope you're listening to this audio now. And within a week from this date, which is 12th of March, um, Thursday, I'll have, I plan to have the video up as well. Still learning my way around how to sort out the video. It's pretty complicated, but I'm enjoying the learning process. And I really appreciate your patience in waiting and um, allowing me to develop because we're all a work in progress, as is the podcast. Thanks again for listening and hope you enjoyed it. Let's catch up again next week.